is your favorite female actress? Breakfast Tiffany's. Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Diane Keaton. Wait, you want me to answer right now? Julia Roberts. And who is your favorite female director? Um, I don't know if any. I know why. Same, I don't know any, sorry. Um, I don't know if any. Catherine Bigwell. I think it's Ava. Ava something, Ava Duvernay or something, I'm not sure. Diane Keaton. <laughs> really? <laughs> Do you know any? She has a true Jack something. <laughs> okay. At a recent Writers Guild panel, Aaron Sorkin made news for seemingly discovering then and there that Hollywood has a diversity issue. The juggernaut behind shows like The West Wing, Sports Night, and The Newsroom, and movies like A Few Good Men and The Social Network, Sorkin was, according to reports, in disbelief about women and minority writers facing more challenges than their white male counterparts when they're trying to get their foot in the industry's door. And I quote, Are you saying that women and minorities have a more difficult time getting their stuff read than white men? He asked to, I don't know, I guess the audience at large? the other panelists, and he didn't stop there. Quote, you're saying that white men get to make mediocre movies and can continue on? As President Bartlett would say, what's next? Hi guys, I'm Megan Collins of Style Girlfriend, and this is Undressed. While the news cycle has since moved on to other white men be trippin' news, like the recent factoid in the Washington Post about how Mike Pence refuses to dine one-on-one with other women without his wife present, I have been really stuck on this Sorkin story. I wonder how many people have considered the issues around working while female, specifically in media and entertainment. Because I run a media company, a small one, sure, but a media company nonetheless, And I'm interested in pop culture, both professionally and personally. I want to go to work and make great content. And I want to go home and sometimes veg out with a movie or a TV show that reflects my life back to me in a way that's both entertaining and feels grounded in truth. That's not always easy. Obviously, I'm not trying to say that every TV show and movie needs to be about a plucky young woman in this big city looking to break down the doors of an industry's boys club. But... Would it kill Marvel to give us a Black Widow movie? Or to skip Kevin James over just once in favor of a sitcom that centers on the mom rather than the dad or the daughter instead of the son? I'm proud to make a point of employing women at Style Girlfriend and of amplifying a female perspective online, especially in a male-dominated industry like men's publishing. I believe it's valuable to have female voices represented. And what's more, I believe it's important to seek voices out that are different than your own. So there's a couple of things at play here, and I'm obviously not totally prepared to sort them all out, but I'd like to try, especially since our audience is mostly male. I thought we could have a conversation about the topic on this episode of Undressed, unless, of course, Mike Pence is listening, in which case, Mr. Vice President, you should probably not be listening to this without your wife present, because it's just us right now, buddy, and I do not want to tempt you through your earbuds. Now that that's out of the way, let's do this, guys. I'm talking to a few friends of mine in the biz, as they say, uh, about all of these questions and more. And you know what? We're going to solve the problem of gender inequality once and for all this week on Undressed. (laughs) Just kidding. We're not going to solve anything, but we're going to talk about it. And that's a good start because this can be awkward, but it's important. And I love you guys for being open and receptive to having the conversation at all, and I hope that's what this feels like. First up, we've got Jordan Cruciola. She's an associate editor for New York Magazine's Vulture. She's out in LA, and as her Twitter bio contends, 
Being a feminist doesn't mean you hate men. It means you can walk through walls and can never die, which sounds about right to me. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Megan. By the way, I pronounced your name, and I hope I said it right, Cruciola? You, you're so close. It's Cruciola. 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 Yeah, that's not on you. That's not on you. I slaughter last names like it's my job. So I... I I appreciate you coming as close as you did. Oof. All right. (laughs) So close. I'm so excited to be talking to you because I feel like we might have actually spoken about this over Twitter already. But for those of us who don't, you know, don't mutually follow us, I just wanted to get your hot take on this Aaron Sorkin news that he just recently discovered a diversity issue in Hollywood. So I'm just, I really want to know in your view... How aware is the rest of Hollywood on this issue of women and minorities being underrepresented? And how much do you actually think is being done to address it, if anything? I think it's an especially interesting thing to consider. Um, Aaron Sorkin is a very kind of handy flashpoint for this. And he has walked back his comments since since the initial shock saying actually what I meant was and explaining that he was he had been sort of marinating on those issues in his own mind leading up to that conference and that he wanted to put those questions to people who, who know about them, who, who might know the answers and who might be able to shed some light on that for him in, in the conference that he was speaking at. But I, Aaron Sorkin is also somebody who I think fancies himself. He's kind of this very 90s wave feminist figure, like as soon as I read his comments that, that seemed to express such surprise at, at women and people of color not having the same opportunities in Hollywood, I immediately thought of an episode from the first season of West Wing in which Bradley Whitford and I believe uh, Martin Sheen and I forget who plays like the, the you know chief of staff on the on that cast. They had a conversation. You can search them, like the kind of monologue that that one of them just espouses, and it's called "These Women." Oh, these! I was like, I know exactly what she's gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Then Leo McGarry, and they're like, yeah, it's the 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 crackpots and these women, right? Yeah, the crackpots (laughs) and these women, and the and you know here we have these esteemed, essentially for the '90s, late early 2000s woke woke dads. Talking about oh, yeah. Josh how, Lyman is like the woke bay of the '90s. Absolutely, he absolutely is. Which which made him so great in Get Out, really. And <laughs> to, to have three enlightened, informed men standing around talking about how impressed they are that these women can do it all, can seemingly be radiant and strong and intelligent and confident and and effervescent all at the same time. The it was. It was such a hallmark sentiment delivered with the thickest degree of patronizing I could possibly <laughs> imagine. And but that was him lionizing women. That was him yeah. celebrating women. And I think there is this this notion that putting for for Sorkin specifically, this notion of putting women on a pedestal for accomplishing all the things that men can do and calling them extraordinary as a result makes that kind of accomplishment for women feel exceptional instead of expected. And it's like his heart's in the right place, but his sort of entitlement and privilege, I would imagine, blocks him from empathizing as fully as I know I would like him to with the actual issues of, of representation, which is not necessarily that we, we don't see enough women doing great things. We certainly don't. But we also don't see enough of women and people of color just existing in their complicated, messy, dirty, challenging realities, which is how people live their lives. And so it would be great to live in the idealistic world of the newsroom, a show that I love despite popular opinion. 
But I, I also understand that I want to see real-world depictions of people, which is also something that's not Aaron Sorkin's strong suit. If he lived in the real world in any way, we might have to have this conversation, but he, he lives in a, in a cloud of his own intellectual making. Well, and I mean, you defended him when he sort of walked back those comments, and I saw those as well, but I also feel like it's 2017, why are you just asking those questions now? And also, yeah. why are you asking them to this random audience at this random panel? Like, if this was important to you or if this is something that's been vexing you how come you haven't yet huddled up on it and come up with a you know some sort of whatever task force for you know if this is something that that matters so I mean do you really I I definitely buy his sincerity in wanting to do something about it or at least in being curious about it but do you think that that's enough I think and I think you 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 make a good point and um, I think uh He's he's a good example of to me the the generally good guy who can't understand innately this kind of disenfranchisement because he has never experienced it in his life and there is an empathy gap there and I I think he is indicative of because most people I think don't dislike women or people of color or seek to actively push them down there are certainly plenty of people plenty of people that do but kind of the everyday problem the 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 problem that is harder to the, the gordian knot that is that is difficult to to undo is the fact that people who mean well don't know how to seemingly take steps to fix the problem. So, like, I'm glad that Aaron Sorkin is writing and directing Molly's Game and that that's going to star Jessica Chastain. But like you said, it's 2017, and he's been creating film and television now for years. Where where have the wonderfully complex Aaron Sorkin heroines been that aren't CJ, Alice, and Janie from The West Wing, you know? And I think people are, people are aware in Hollywood that this is a problem. I think there becomes the issue that when you talk about something so much, people start to consign it to lip service. They they start to speak in talking points instead of actually taking action. When when you can you can solve a problem with money in Hollywood. Ryan Murphy said that half of the women in his half of the directors in his production company were going to be women, so he went out there and he hired fifty percent goddamn women. Ava DuVernay for her show Queen Sugar has had all female directors for the first season. She did that because she has authority and she hired women. She made sure the checks were signed to the right people. It's a matter of of actually stopping talking and and starting to affect change from people who are in a position to hand over cash because that's what it all comes down to is money. I totally agree with that. I mean, I'd like to give all credit to Beyonce when, what was it, three, four years ago now, she decided to hire an all-female band for her tour. All-female band, yeah. And people were like, a female drummer. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. shocking to people. And that was, again, only three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I totally agree with that. I actually read a really great thread on Twitter, who I, I'm going to forget who to uh, credit it to now, but they basically made the point with an analogy that if you did a contest for the best wine in the world and the top 10 winners all turned out to be red wines, would you think that's because white wine isn't good or would you think it's because your criteria were flawed? And I thought yeah. that that was such a great way to sort of bring the notion of needing to look at sort of the process for seeking out your talent Mm-hmm. rather than putting it on the talent. And so I, I think that that's, I totally agree with you. I think more than anywhere, Hollywood can throw money at a problem and actually fix something. So yeah. I, I love that, you know, yeah, we could talk about inequality till we're blue in the face and people will, and that's fine. And, and I agree that we should be having conversations about it, but to simply move past it and say, 
there are good directors out there. There are good screenwriters. There are good, you know, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. showrunners. But it, I am going to have to go out and find them. And, and that's okay. You know, to almost sort of have that level of permission to say, I am mm-hmm. going to pass over a white guy who might be qualified for it because it's important to me to make sure that more female voices are represented. Well, and I, I think it's a, I think it's an important thing to, to emphasize if I'm, if I'm trying to speak to people who aren't specifically myself, I, I know the thing that I need to remind myself of, especially as we exist in these very, you know, call and response echo chambers of, of things like Twitter and, and Facebook and social media is that allowing people to explain their situation without telling them their situation is so important. And I, I think we do have this reflex, as, of, as you were saying, to be defensive. This idea that if somebody starts speaking for their experience, it somehow means they are demeaning your own. When I think people who are traditionally in demographics of privilege, and yes, that does mean white, heteronormative, cis men, that, that does mean that. It is not an attack on that demographic to say so, but that is historically the power structure here in our United States of America, certainly. And I think people need to be better about giving themselves permission to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And people on the other end need to be receptive to, to the I don't knows and to the how do you, how can I be betters by not by saying, how do you not know, but by saying, let me talk to you and let us have a conversation and let us ask each other questions and provide the space for each of us to answer honestly and thoroughly. Because, you know, we, we, we have all this wonderful rhetoric going around right now about, about improved representation, women, people of color, queer community, trans people, and, and the people who are the front-facing individuals are the performers. You know, you're, Amy Adams got asked in the Hollywood Reporters Actresses Roundtable last year, like, you know, w- what do you think about, like, the quality of roles for women? And she said, I'm tired of being asked that question because it's not <laughs> on me. Ask the producers. Right. You know, the people we see who are, who are consumer-facing are not necessarily the people who are in charge of making these crucial decisions that drive marketing campaigns. And so my great hope is that, you know, through a sort of individual, at an individual level, we need to get better at having these honest exchanges and, and letting people screw up and letting people be wrong so they can learn. And that has to start down at the base. And also it has to trickle up and down. It has to trickle down and also move up the ladder. It has to be a reciprocal thing of, of people who are in charge being willing to have the humility to have those conversations and, and people who are starting out being willing to have those flexible and, and growth conversations and then take that knowledge with them as they ascend the ladder. Well, and that's such a great point. I mean, so you're, you write for New York Magazine's Vulture, and I'm really curious what you see as your role as a female journalist, as a culture critic in all of this, as it does relate to representation. I mean, do you consider yourself as taking an activist stance when you'll point out things like exactly that, what Amy Adams said and why it matters? Yeah, I, I, I think that I am. And, and uh, I, I think I would certainly be classified by people who don't like me on social media as an activist person and as as uh, as somebody who is obstreperous and who is a, a, a liberal problem. And I for me, it is a point of dialogue that I try and work into. I, I don't shoehorn it, but I look for the avenue in everything I cover of how what does this mean for representation what does this mean for speaking to the honest reflection of a community? I, I, I fangirl out about the absolute most superficial things. I have said way too many objectifying things about Margot Robbie to call myself <laughs> beyond reproach. I am certainly in a glass house with stones all around me, and I understand that. 
But I also, um, I particularly do a lot of writing about uh, horror and genre films. And one of the reasons that I love that space so much is because there is so much to mine by way of symbolism and metaphor and, and literal direct depictions of people and communities and characters at, it, at such an extreme and hyperbolic level as, as horror film kind of gloriously lets you work with that I get to work those issues of, of gender and identity and race and sexuality into, into my writing very frequently. And, and I, by virtue of my passions, those are the things that I, I write about most of all. And those are the things I pursue. So it kind of is a, is a great cycle and, and Vulture blessedly allows me to do a lot of that because it, it's a, it's a group of people that seems to understand that the identities that we all bring to the table as writers are vital to our perspectives on issues and having a broad palette of those perspectives represented representing the brand only helps the brand and and we do our best work that way because we feel allowed to to take chances and and kind of be vulnerable i'm almost reluctant to ask this but you're active on twitter that's that's how we met that's our our meet cute yes what kind of pushback have you gotten i mean we talked a little bit about you know the the female voices on the internet that Mm-hmm. They've been shouted down in different instances, but yeah. you know, are there examples that you can look to where you have called attention to, you know, a, a male-dominated status quo in Hollywood and the problem, prom, problems that are really like inherent in that? Have there been any really awful examples of you saying, "Hey, let's have a conversation about this," and you know, just the internet? title mm-hmm. waving back at you for that? Oh, yeah. Um, at, at, a, at a previous employer, certainly the comments section um, was a cesspool uh, for that kind of activity. And it got to the point where at, a, at another publication I worked for, anytime, anytime we wrote about uh, articles that were specifically connected to women's issues, there was one article uh, that I didn't write, but another uh, friend of mine did about the use of rape as a storytelling crutch mm-hmm. in uh, film and television, my that publication had to straight up turn the comments off on every one of those articles before they even went live because we didn't want to just have a festival of hate speech in the comments. And certainly on 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 comments on my stories, I've encountered that every now and again. In on Twitter, I get a lot of God, can't you ever stop talking about this stuff? Like not everything is about how it basically not everything is about how it affects people when I think mm. that's one of the ridiculous things you could ever say. <laughs> And like, you know, this story about people isn't about how it affects people. It's like, isn't it though? Isn't it? It's like, yeah, it might sound frivolous, but there is a thread we can extract from the Transformer series and its presentations of Rosie Huntington, Whitley and Megan Fox, who I treasure okay. in those movies and in other areas. But yeah, there's a there's a lens that we can look through to examine. Yes, I'm going to say the male gaze and you can call me concern trolling. You can call me thought policing. What was, um, oh gosh, uh, virtue signaling is oh, one that virtue I- virtue signaling is my new favorite jargon yeah, thing that I pepper know, into conversation and feel. Yeah. You know, that, that really, really demonstrated to me though, how much the rhetoric can exhaust people and then they just start cherry picking from arguments, the things that they want to see. And it like, you know, the conversation around feminism and, and, you know, queer empowerment of, you know, people in color being empowered in Hollywood it can get reduced so far down to talking points that people use those talking points as counter arguments, thin counter arguments that aren't really valid, but they hold on to sound bites and they decide that they're exhausted by hearing those things or they take them as personal attacks on their own lifestyle and value system. And it, you know, having these things forced in front of us all the time is great for repetition and to remind us there are things we need to care about. But it, you know, 
people also do hit a super saturation point where they feel bludgeoned by conversation topics and they react poorly by deciding that they need to lash out against them instead of seeing how they can get involved in them. And whether that comes out of, you know, fear or it comes out of hatred or it comes out of apathy, none of those things are good. But I, I think that clears the way too for the other for that for that point of, of being willing to engage with each other and not just talk at each other. Because otherwise we're just gonna keep yelling the points that we have on our own confirmation biases across aisles that nobody ever wants to really broach. I'm exhausted already. <laughs> so it but we're going to keep going. <laughs> I don't think we're going to fix anything today, but I am curious. I, um, you know, they just announced that like fearless girl statue at the stock yeah. exchange that she's going to stick yeah. around for another year. So yeah. are you bullish about the future of women in media and entertainment? Give me some good news. Give me a good report here. I am. You know, I will tell you, I will tell you an anecdote and I do feel good about it because I feel, I feel, I feel great about it because it does seem like more and more the status quo of young people is not not really being willing to take shit about this. And, um, you know, young millennials are pains in the asses, but they're also, you know, their the, they're, they're sort of ability to be impolite about what they deserve and they are entitled to, I hope those, I hope and I think I do see those things extending to, like, no, you don't get to trample on my experience. You don't get to trample on my identity. You don't get to trample on my rights. You don't have the you don't have the damn say over who I am to be allowed to do that. And I was overhearing a few a trio of teens um, <laughs> when I was uh, in Studio City in a Starbucks not too long ago, and they were discussing. I mean, these these were kids talking about their agents, their scripts, their management, and. They, if you'd read me the transcript of them talking, and I would have thought they were 28 years old, but they were probably about 15. <laughs> and I interrupted their conversation to to ask who they really look up to, and I was so heartened to hear that their role models were Chloe Moretz, Meryl Streep, and <laughs> Drew Barrymore. Aww. Which I didn't see that coming, but they really, the things that they admired most about all those performers was their longevity, their dynamic ability to play a lot of different roles. They, they really respected Drew Barrymore as a businesswoman. They really respected uh, Meryl Streep as, as like an icon. They really respected Chloe Moretz as a young, outspoken woman. And they seemed to be idolizing these figures that represent very feminist factions of their demographics in Hollywood. And I asked them how they felt about, you know, Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato, people who were really open on social media with their personalities and their, their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And they really responded to that. They really liked how real and honest somebody like a Selena Gomez was. And they, they looked at that as something to aspire to, somebody who speaks out and speaks up. And to have, to hear a trio of 15 year old girls who were already throwing themselves into, you know, the tough grinder of Hollywood talk about, aspiring to be women who we know as as some of the most outspoken individuals in their field was really, really impressive to me. And it really gave me a lot of, um, it really buoyed me going into thinking about, thinking about the youth and thinking about Hollywood and, and feeling like we are at a time where kids, young people who are getting into the industry are coming in at a time when rhetoric about being better and, 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 being more respectful of and mindful of uh, previously disenfranchised and currently disenfranchised demographics 
um, they're coming at a time when that kind of speaking up is normal. It's not, it's not the exception really anymore to, to speak your mind and talk about paychecks and talk about, um, being respected. That's becoming the standard and, and they're, they're, they're absorbing this outspokenness at a time when it's very formative for them. And they seem like they want to follow that example. So I do feel good about that. All right. That is a good report card. Thank you, Jordan Grishula. Where can people find you online? You can find me uh, Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U, and always at vulture.com. I will be, I'm down on the masthead, and you can click on my bio and find my writing whenever you want. I love it. Thanks so much, Jordan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Jordan Cruciola. You can follow her at Jorcru on Twitter. Next up, we have Jack Moore, who is a writer and human man who, you guessed it, I met on Twitter. Honestly, for everyone who tells me Twitter is dying, I have a best friend for you to meet, I'm telling you. Jack lives in L.A. too, and he is currently writing for the first season of Netflix's upcoming series adaptation of the movie Dear White People. You can also find him writing on GQ.com. Hi, Jack. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Jack, I always like to say you're one of my favorite woke bays, which is not a term I throw around lately or say out loud for that matter. So I, I Well, just, that's very nice. I preface that because I, I love that when I asked you to do this podcast, you, your initial reaction was, uh, how about I introduce you to a, a female writer instead of talking to me, a, a white male writer? And I said no because I already have one female guest for this episode, and that is enough females. No, <laughs> mostly because oh, you're you're so problematic. <laughs> Getting into the the lingo now. No, I mean, I mean, talking about lingo, like UIC is very much an ally, which is like this jargony term, but it is useful in this context. So I'm I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your reaction to Aaron Sorkin's recent, you know, revelation about women and minorities having a harder time getting into a writer's room as a writer yourself. Yeah, you know, I have to say, now, I'm, this is a tough one to start with because I am biased. I, Aaron Sorkin's like, you know, my hero. No, I hear you. You and I bonded over West we Wing, did, we, we? did, we I mean, did, we did. we met on Twitter, and I think that we literally bonded because you had like a Bartlett for America t-shirt on yeah. or something, and I was like, oh, you're, we're friends now. Yeah, I, I mean, I literally have a tattoo of <laughs> what's next on my arm, so like, I, uh, oh I love me some Aaron Sorkin. And I will say that I think it's been somewhat unfairly characterized by the press only because I have a friend who was there that night and who said that in the room, and she is a woman of color and was engaging, and she said in the room that it felt like a real moment, that it felt like this was somebody actually trying to connect and learn and improve. That said... It is kind of crazy that it would take so long. He's been in Hollywood for, what, 30 years, 25 years? It would take so long to realize, like, wait, why are there no women and people of color around? Um, <laughs> you would think that would have come up at some point. But, but yeah, I think, it's, I think it's tough because it's hard not to hold people. It's hard not to hold it against people, even when they do try to make a change for good, that they weren't already on the side of good. But that's a complicated thing because, on the other hand, it's like it's better than the alternative. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't quite know. It's a, it's a complicated thing, and I think it's good to criticize people, but it's also you don't want to alienate people who are. It's like good they're coming to the party, even if they're woefully late to the party. And I think you, I mean, 
you use the word criticize in sort of like the cultural criticism way. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. It's good to talk about these things and to give voice to that disappointment that it takes people so long sometimes to like, you know, be a part of the solution. And that's good to, to call that out. But it's, you know, it's also, I think it's important to accept people who want to be a part of the solution and to not, you know, live totally in a place of like, I mean, I think we saw a lot in this last election, especially from, you know, I mean, almost exclusively from the Democratic side, the dangers of like chasing ideological purity. If I have to hear one more person tell me Bernie Sanders would have won, I would have I'll, like lose my mind because, it, you know, it's nobody is perfect. Nobody's ideologically perfect. And we have to hold people accountable in the ways that they are wrong or damaging or not part of the solution. But we also have to you know, accept people's good qualities, too, and try to cobble together a coalition. And I actually think it's so interesting that, you know, you kind of started out by saying, well, look, I have bias because I love Aaron Sorkin. But if anything, I feel like that actually lends credence to what it is you're saying, because you're like, look, I like the guy. I like his writing. I, you know, I want to see more West Wings or whatever it is out of him. Maybe not more newsroom. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, I still I still go but, to But, you know, like you're... <laughs> Oh God! I made it through the halfway through the first season when Olivia Munn showed up. I was like, Bye. "See, that's that's your Bye. problem." Like the deal. first season was so weak. <laughs> season two, season three, much better. Well, season three was good until there was a, a rape apology episode, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> but I, I, I totally agree with you that um, even just my take on it from reading about it, it did it did feel like Sorkin was sincere in sort of his incredulity that this was happening, um, and I think that it speaks to this idea of what you were just saying about we should be encouraging people to have the conversation. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable, but we want to, um, you know, give out those participation ribbons as we're able <laughs> because you, you know, you want, you want to encourage it and not make people feel bad for sort of going through those uh, moments of realization. But to me, it just felt like when someone tells you like, oh, you look tired and you're like, thanks. And you want to kind of just move on. But they're like, yeah, no, seriously, like, did you not get enough sleep last night? Like, are you having trouble at work? What's wrong? And you're just like, Jesus, like, what good can come of that line of questioning? Because that is, to me, what it felt like Sorkin did, is, like, he really hung on to this idea of being really flabbergasted, and I think that's what was really, like, repellent to a lot of people. But I do want to give him credit, and, you know, because he did ask, like, well, what can I do, and what, you know, how can I affect this this existing problem? And obviously, he's one of the most powerful screenwriters and producers in Hollywood, so I pr think that there's probably a lot that he can do. But it is really uncomfortable to watch people, like, go through the stages of becoming woke. Yes, no, you know it definitely I mean? like, is. And it's uh, it's an imperfect art. And I think you're right that the flat, the, the kind of claim that it was i don't know the claim to i have no it's it sort of reminded me of the moment in casablanca where uh claude rains is like i'm shocked shocked to discover there's gambling going on here is like <laughs> yeah it of course these biases exist and and these problems exist and it's it sucks to see somebody that i think of as very intelligent and liberal and wonderful in a lot of ways struggle with that Part. And you could just look at his writing to see there have been moments where he struggled with that in the past, where it's certainly not, you know, there are moments on the newsroom that are like, ooh, this is not great female character writing. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you're listening to, I'm sure you are, but listening to the West Wing Weekly am, and yeah. kind of visiting some of these episodes and you're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the so way yes, they use I, Donna I uh, feels like crazy. But then you look at the West Wing and at least they had Abby and CJ and they're, you know, they have these strong, complicated women too, which has come and gone from his writing. But I do, I, I do think that there are, there is progress being made in the industry in a big way. I mean, I've written for, I think five or six TV shows at this point, And I've never been in a room that wasn't at least half women, um, which is certainly an anomaly. Like I've talked to friends and they're like, that's crazy, but it's just been my experience. And so clearly in past, you know, I've only been doing this for a few years, but for the last little bit, at least it's, it's definitely seeming like progress is being made though. Of course, too slowly as progress uh, always is. Well, you know, that's so interesting because you're right. I mean, even just in my experience talking to, you know, other friends that are writers, like that doesn't seem like the norm. And it, it reminds me of that Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote about like how when she says that when she's been asked or like how many women on the Supreme Court will be like, quote unquote, like enough women. And she says when there's nine of them <laughs> and that people laugh, right? Like, oh, my God, like you just laughed. But also that's it was nine men up until pretty recently. So. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm curious about sort of. Um, I mean, it's like I laugh because yeah, like, it's like yes, great it's progress, line. <laughs> but like when when were there enough women? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she's she's got some uh, good sound bites, but like when you know when are there going to be enough women in a writer's room? Or like you know what in terms of progress? What are the you know what's the next watershed or what's the next step that we'll be able to point to and not like rest on our laurels, but at least point at it and say, all right, we did that. <laughs> like well, or like this I think it is. Now. I think. You're, what you're getting at is right and that there it, it's not goal oriented like the whole thing should be journey oriented it, it's always constant improvement i would say the you know it won't be enough until the idea of having this conversation seems antiquated how many you look back at the civil rights movement and it's like at the time it would have been crazy for black people and white people to use the same bathroom in certain places in the country and now that seems you wouldn't even be like well i mean it's it's beyond kind of comprehension that that would happen today that like although i guess it is happening in some ways with the transgender community i i think that's sort of the thing is just constant striving for to be better and constant checking of your privilege and checking of your biases and sort of doing your best part to again be part of the solution and you know, really think like, am I making this when you're hiring? Are you making this decision because you really did like that person's writing better than this person? Or are you making it for some other unconscious bias? Re like, I guess the thing is to try to try to interrogate your own unconscious biases until they become conscious so you can do something about them. And what do you feel like you could say to guys who maybe don't embrace the notion that they have unconscious bias? Because that's sort of, especially during the election, that's what I kept finding myself going up against when I would talk to someone who was like, I don't trust Hillary. And you're like, oh, maybe. Do you think any of that has to do with the fact that she's a woman? And they would say, no. It's because of whatever, emails. It's because of Benghazi. You know what I mean? And I don't mean to make this political, but what do you do when you, you know, talk to a guy who's like, well, I don't, I just don't, I just happen not to watch female-driven shows or I happen not to watch... <laughs> You know, like whatever yeah. it might be, like how do you how do you raise consciousness on that kind of thing? Because to your point, like yeah, this isn't going to become something where it's a movement in the streets. So, what are those smaller steps that can be taken to, oh, at the very least, raise I mean, that's awareness? the that's the great question. I, I you know I don't know exactly. I think I think it's hard because people, hmm, I think people who have privilege often uh, and have biases like this often get very defensive when the idea of that privilege or those biases are brought up because it to them it feels like it's 
invalidating like for instance with privilege i feel like often white people have a hard time admitting their privilege because they feel like it's saying like you only got this because of your white privilege that's not really true like acknowledging you have privilege just means like it doesn't mean i didn't work hard like i have certainly have white male privilege it doesn't mean it doesn't take away from your accomplishments doesn't mean that i didn't work hard to get what i want it just exactly Mm -hmm. it just means that you know i i certainly had some advantages that other people did not and like that's you know i have to deal with that and try to keep that in mind and have empathy for people who don't and try to help you know in whatever way i can and i think the i mean again this is it's so hard because on some level you're saying like how do we how do we baby these people who are being assholes <laughs> like <laughs> and the answer is to say, like, the instinct, I don't know if I can curse on this, but the instinct is to say, like, <laughs> them. Like, I, you know, like, I, who needs them? Well, we need them, I guess, on some level. We, to have a good society, we want people to understand and acknowledge this. And so... Right, bring people along rather than... Try, you know, yeah, them. and so it's hard, I think, if you can do it in a non-confrontational way and acknowledging, in a weird way, like, acknowledging their hard work and acknowledging their you know, good qualities while also uh, raising these ideas, I think that could probably help. But again, I'm not saying that, like, we owe it to these people to to baby them. I think I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. It's a really hard thing when someone is obstinate about this stuff because it's it's... I feel like once you open your eyes to it, it's pretty self-evident. And it's also hard to imagine a time when you didn't feel this way. <laughs> And really, what does it take away from you to acknowledge it? Like, it doesn't mean that by saying, I understand that as a white man, I might have some more, you know, opportunities available to me or whatever. Like, those opportunities don't suddenly go away by saying that out loud. Um, yeah, and I think it's also this, I I mean, like, it's. I think part of it is the the myth of America is, I think, pretty toxic in at its core. This idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I, I, I think that sounds all well and good and certainly there are examples from across you know uh, gender lines racial lines socioeconomic lines of people who have found ways to do that but it gives people the idea that everything they have they earned and sure that's true often that people have earned I mean more often than not somebody has done something to earn their success sure people are b- born into immense wealth and things happen, but you, it still requires work often. But that said, it's just acknowledging, I mean, it's like it's like in cards. Like you can be a great poker player and be really good at playing poker and like really understand the odds and really understand, you know, the nuances of the game and how to read people. But once in a while, you're just gonna get good cards. And that doesn't mean you're not a good poker player for the hands you win when you have good cards. It just means you got good cards that time. And I think the same is true the same is true with privilege and in life. You have to be kind of compassionate for those that don't have great cards and don't pretend like your cards had nothing to do with it. As a euchre player myself, I wish you would have used that analogy, but also okay, my, I think that's a pretty my, good my, my mistake. <laughs> it's the Midwesterner yes, in me coming sure. out because I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, but I love it. I think that's actually a really great place to end. Jack, where can people find you online if they want to hear more of your, your musings? My musings. I write for GQ every day, GQ.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Jack P. Moore, although I, I come and go from that as uh, my mental health allows. <laughs> yeah, and watch uh, Dear White People April 28th on Netflix. I'll take it. Yeah, plug away, man. Anything else? Yeah. 
No, that's it. That's it. No more plugs. (laughs) That's it. All right. Thank Uh, you, Jack. It was so good talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. And that is it for this episode of Undress. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for having these awkward conversations with me. This is just a taste of me in real life, honestly. I'm nothing but awkward over over coffee, over drinks, really all of it. So thank you guys for coming along. I hope that, not that you learned something, but I hope that you found this interesting and I hope that maybe you go out and have some awkward conversations of your own tonight. They should put that on my tombstone. Um... That's it. Yeah. Awesome. If you liked this episode, please do go rate and review us on iTunes. It does help us get found by more and more people just like you and not like you. Heck, who knows? I don't know. Diversity. Diversity of podcast listeners. That's what we want. So do go do that. We really do appreciate it. And let us know what you think. So we will talk to you next time. I am Megan Collins. This is Undressed. Bye. (laughs) Change clothes.